This podcast is supported by Patreon. You can show your support on patreon.com slash toadsanime and get four early episodes a month for just a few bucks. Plus it helps Ryan buy Digimon toys. Alternatively, spend it on something more important. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Toad on Games podcast. A podcast where we interview, chat, Casually talk with and mumble nonsense with guests from the video game industry. That's journalists and developers and all sorts. Um, with me today, I have Quang from Asobi Tech. Do you want to say hello and a little bit about who you are? All that good jazz. Hello, everyone. Hi, uh, it's, um, my name's Quang, uh, aka known as Quang DX. Uh, I'm a now a full time indie game developer. Um, I'm also a huge retro collector and a huge long life uh, video game fan as it is yeah and do you know what it's it's so interesting to me how um whenever i go to events or whenever i speak to indie developers or or genesis or anything it seems like everybody knows you (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm I'm a huge proponent of community um so i try to be a big part of the community i try to take part in all the events i can uh grow community we run game maker um game maker meetup which is a meetup for game developers um, and also retro events, I'm, I'm big on that. So I go to all the retro events. I, I share my collection with the retro events um, as much as I can. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I, th- I think I first saw you. Uh, when did I first see you? I first saw you at some event, and you were showing off like Mammal Castle, and you were dressed in your your <laughs> your tiger outfit thing. Yeah. That's the first time I saw you, but I didn't know you at the time. Sure. And then also, we have like a mutual friend through through Jupiter, so we kind of like ended up hanging out a bit through through that. Um, and you're in sort of the retro group stuff that I'm in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, whenever I, t- I, I will, you'll casually come up in conversation with various people, <laughs> and it just seems like everyone knows who you are. Like a few of my previous guests on this, and a few people I've been talking to for the future on this, I've said, "Oh yeah, I'm doing recording with 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 Quang that week." They go, "Oh Quang, yeah, he's great, brilliant." I'm just like, "How does everybody know this guy?" <laughs> Again, yeah, it's all about being community, uh, being part of the community, and. Uh, once you start meeting people, you meet more people, and it's a big part of just trying to introduce other people to other people and connecting people, and it just helps grow things. Yeah, I'd say that's definitely something you're really good at. Is the communities? I, I think it comes naturally to you, and I think it's 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 obviously genuine, but 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 benefits you as well. Is that you're really good at all that community stuff? Like you're really good at being at showing at, at events. You're really good at being at uh, various gaming communities and setting them up and organizing them and, and and attending them, and that seems to be something that you're really strong at. Sure, I wouldn't say it comes naturally. It's uh, like naturally, I'm actually an introvert um, as a game developer and coder. Um, but you can learn these skills, um, and it's just you know what is it's just taking an interest in other people and trying mm. not to be so introspective. Um, and and it's not all about you, you, you. It's think about what you can do for the community, what you can do for other people. And mm. if you if you put that first and foremost, um, people will warm to you, and and people will help you. And it becomes cyclic, you know, you help them, they help you. And it's it's just think about what you can do for other people, I guess. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I mean, what I see a lot with uh, indie developers, especially, is that they will share each other's work. Like, they'll share each other's work all the time because they meet them at events and they know them and they share each other's work. Um, and that really helps get the ball rolling with a lot of their projects. And similarly, with, with the retro group stuff that we're in, um, you know, that we've got some small YouTubers some some small streamers, and then you've got like massive ones all in the same group and all interconnected and they'll all help each other. They'll all share each other's content and stuff. And that's really great that everyone kind of bounces off each other like that. Yeah. So it's a really great and friendly community, um, the game developer and the retro community, both of them. 
uh, it's all about the passion for what we do. Yeah, that's it, really. I guess it is just people that are genuinely passionate about this stuff and about other people's work and and the, and the stuff that other people are doing. And um, it's it's very genuine and it's very heartwarming. Um, I mean, personally, obviously, I'm, I'm really only in the UK scenes for for that stuff, but it's 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 wonderful. I, I haven't even been in the retro game community uh, for that very for that long. I, I, I'm not a content creator or anything like that. But obviously, I formed uh, like a group when when I was at Numskull because mm. we did the core arcade cabinets and sort of got people together for that and just like how genuinely lovely that whole click is um is 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 wonderful and heartwarming and um can't wait till the world opens up again so i can see some of them yeah as i said it's built on passion more than anything and i'm the same i'm not technically a content creator i do create create some content but i wouldn't class myself as a content creator um but being active in the community doesn't mean you have to create content you can help people in other ways yeah and one of them is obviously I, I have quite a large uh, collection of retro consoles, and rather than hoarding them away, I, I share them with the community. Yeah, absolutely. As you say that 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 the group specifically I'm talking about is like some of them are YouTubers, some mm, of them are game yeah. developers, some of the people like me that are just like NPR, some of them have just like pages, you know, like Twitter <laughs> accounts and stuff with with decent amount of followers. Like it's a real nice mix of yeah. of, of just passionate people, and that's the only sort of thing that's bringing people together it's like we have to share the interest let's come together and, and and that's wonderful and it's yeah that's the power of community stuff really it's it's, it's always interesting to hear that everyone i i, I speak to knows of you <laughs> which is great yeah um but yeah as you uh, mentioning i guess talking about your game collection like that i'm still trying to get my head around exactly how large your video game console collection is um, um yeah so when you talk to most people about video games and game retro gaming, they probably know Atari, Nintendo, and Sega, and Sony mm. a little bit later on. Um, but there are so many consoles out there that you probably even ha- ever heard of that when you start digging deeper, um, they're all part of a makeup of a history, the history of it all. And mm. I started collecting Sega, Sega and Nintendo because that's what I grew up with. But then um, I amassed a relatively... I you know reasonable collection of about 20 consoles and then people were like oh you have a lot of consoles you must have needed all them by now and then i started looking at it and then, then i found so many more and i became this sort of weird quest to own every single console so now i'm trying to get one of every single console in its box that is a crazy mission because as you say like everyone knows the atari the segas but there are way more than people would <laughs> ever know yeah indeed um, just looking at the Japanese market alone, um, you have c- companies like Bandai and Epoch and Entex. Uh, sorry, Entex is American, but um, uh, yeah, the there are so many other com- com- companies that tried their hand at video games. Obviously, didn't do as well, but they're still part of the history. Absolutely, yeah. It's that's the way I've always viewed like video game preservation. Is it all matters, all of it, flash games <laughs> and and little tiny Newgrounds games and old school like mobile phone games. All of it, the whole history of video games, it's all it's all meaningful and all connects and inspired someone. It's all it's all important for sure. If you look at something as simple as a uh, Flappy Bird, um, it may be a, a blip of a game, but it it had a huge impact on mm. on, on, the, on the makeup of mobile games. Um, and then you look at consoles. If you look something like uh, obviously Atari, the twenty six hundred was for years the, the de facto in, in video games, um, but then. Things like the ColecoVision and the Intellivision all try to take a piece of that and by moving things forwards. And you can see Atari's responses to those. So without having 
this competition between them, you wouldn't get mm. the other um, advancements in technology. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a really good way of looking at it is, is even the ones that have kind of been forgotten to time, their importance they're important because of how they influence the more successful ones that people think of. Like Atari may have looked at a smaller upcoming competitor and gone, oh, they're doing this. Let's do this. We can cut them out. And it's even little things like that that just could be, get completely forgotten as to how, you know, video game history is written. Yeah. Um, yeah, all important stuff. Do you know exactly how many <laughs> consoles you have? Um, so I, I need to quantify the con- consoles that I collect. So um, I will only collect things that are uh officially released so no prototypes mm. and so something like the, the super nintendo playstation which is a wonderful machine and i would love to have one but it's not part of this collection it's not what, mm. what i'm looking after i'm looking to, to get um and the variations of the consoles uh have to be hardware uh physically different hot consoles so if you look at something like the n64 it was released in many different colors um red yellow green um, all these consoles, but they're technically the same mold and the same console inside. So mm-hmm. they, to me, they're not classes. They're not classed as a different console. But if you look at the sure. Pikachu N64, which is, has a mold of a Pikachu on the left hand side of it, it f- it's physically a different shape. It's, it's physically a different size. So mm-hmm. I would class it as a different console. And with that in mind, I've now collected, I think, at the last count, about two hundred and thirty boxed consoles. Yeah, that's. Um... <laughs> That's that's crazy, mate. <laughs> that's, yes. Is um, that like some some sort of record? I I, I have no idea. You know, I, there are many people collectors out there. I'm aware of that don't show their collection. Um, it's probably the biggest mm. collection I'm aware of. But I, yeah, I, likewise. I, but without you know, um, yeah, without checking, I wouldn't know. I know there's a gentleman in in Australia called the Last Gamer, and he's an mm-hmm. incredible collection. But I've seen these videos, and he has probably the most games all the systems but the systems he has in his collection are the ones you would know of he doesn't have yeah. like a as far as i'm aware doesn't have a like a, a dreamcast divers tv um things like that so um yes he has a large collection but i guess it's a different kind of collection from mine yeah i mean that makes sense because usually when as as a collector myself like all the collectors you end up seeing in the in, in the communities and and on YouTube and all that sort of thing. The majority of them are very video game focused, not necessarily mm. hardware focused. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is interesting. So I, I I did collect games for a while for the Game Boy, Sega Saturn, and PC Engine. And it got to a point where the games were coming becoming more expensive than the consoles themselves. Mm. And I decided um, there are now other ways to play the games on the systems. I, I, I'm a big fan of playing the games on the original hardware. But we're now with backup solutions. Um, you can play them on the original hardware without having to purchase every single game, um, um, yeah. which, which costs which would cost you into the thousands, and it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense, and it's something that that not many people are collecting. Like it's this is the kind of stuff really that I think is good. It could easily just get completely lost. That would just be gone forever. Yeah, um, this is also why I collect the boxes as well, because mm. someone took time to design those boxes, and they're they're a reflection of the the time it was released. So you, mm-hmm. stuff in the nineties, even the, the Mega Drive has has the very nineties look to it. Uh, all the marketing around that, um, it's a reflection of its time. So uh, I know people have large collections of consoles, but they don't collect the boxes because obviously it's harder to do that and it's more expensive. Mm-hmm. But I th- 
think it's important that we uh, try and preserve that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a point you touched on earlier, um, I like the fact that you're not just kind of hoarding this all in a room and no one ever sees it or, or knows about it. Like you you kind of want to share this experience. Like I, I've spoken about you and your collection to people before. And and uh, again, like everyone just seems to know you and talk about you. <laughs> um, what, I've spoken about it before. And what, I, what I've said to people is that people that don't know you will have seen your consoles yeah that will have played on them will it will have will have literally seen them um because you bring them to events like uh i, I don't know exactly which ones but i know that i've been to the the retro one of the retro events for example mm-hmm. and a lot of the consoles that are there that are playable um are yours they're yeah. part of your collection you actually bring them to these events yeah indeed so i've, I've showcased the uh consoles at uh the replay event events uh retro events the play expos which is where we've met a few times. Mm. Um, and I've taken to Revival as well and uh, the Cambridge Museum, uh, Computer Museum in, in, sorry, the Computer Museum in Cambridge. They've done a few mm. events where I've taken it along to show there as well. And it's, like I said, they, so I don't have yet, have space in my place to showcase them in, in, a, in a pleasant way. They all actually live in a large crate. So I have like 30 large crates they all live in. And so mm. the only time they get to come out to play is when I take them to events and there's something so satisfying to watch people playing on them and enjoying them and hear the comments like, Oh, I didn't even know this existed or I only saw yeah. this in magazines and to, to, to them actually be able to see it and then actually be able to play on it. It's, it's such a, a, an amazing thing to see. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. I mean, likewise, there, there are some of your consoles that I've seen at events and, and, and got to see in person that I, I never thought I would see, you know, I've seen them in magazines or know of them and some mm. I didn't know of. And, you know, people go around, we'll take lots of pictures of it and share them online and stuff. So it's kind of like, it's, it's sort of preserving it in that way as well. Yeah. It's, it's still culturally relevant in that people are taking pictures and sharing them online and playing them. And uh, yeah, it's just a really great way to kind of, um, to share that experience and share that collection. That's, it's, it's a really wonderful thing. I'm not going to lie that the very first time I did it, I, I was so nervous. Uh, I took it to Pexwell Blackpool two years ago, I think it was. Um, and the first time I took 20 consoles with me and they were spread out on the table and I literally watched them like a hawk for the whole weekend. Uh, every time someone put a beer down next to them, I was nervous as hell. Uh, and luckily the, the majority of people who, who interact with the retro machines are respectful of the hardware. I hmm. did have one gentleman who tried to f- uh, close the tra- the tray on Laser Active manually rather than pressing the button to close it, but hmm. we uh, luckily we stopped him in time and then said, "No, you have to press the button. Don't <laughs> force the bu- the tray close." But, um, yeah, it's it's nerve wracking as hell. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, because it's always historically important stuff, and as I say, a lot of it. I don't think there's going to be that many of of some of them around. Genuinely, I think we're talking like single digits for some of it. Um, so yeah, it must be very nerve wracking with people getting all their sweaty hands all over it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Some of the consoles are ridiculously rare, and we're talking over a thousand pounds for some of them easily. Mm. And it, I've got better. As I said, I've, I've noticed how the the community look, um, respect the hardware, um, but obviously there are times when either they've had too many drinks or the kids are playing on it and they don't understand what it is. Um, yeah, but so far, Touchwood, things have been good. Yeah, it's good to hear. Um, I guess you kind of brought up the the, the PlayStation One prototype thing earlier, and that was always uh, that was an interesting thing for me because I uh, I 
obviously it's been it's been sold like it's been privately privately sold um it's mm. as far as we know the only one in existence still mm-hmm. um that we know of and um i mean when the guy i was speaking to the guy that owns it because i wanted to i was originally planning to crowdfund purchase it mm. and put it in a museum because my fear was that some weird millionaire weirdo like jeff bezos or something would buy it and just <laughs> keep it in the house and we'd never see it ever again yeah whereas the guy that owned it was taking it to events around the world yeah. people were playing it people were seeing it which is great for him to do that that, that was wonderful and um, and, and for the record, like people were attacking him for for selling it. Like, how dare you? There should be a museum. <laughs> Let me tell you now: if I had a piece of plastic in my house that I knew I could sell and buy me a house and live off of forever, I'd bloody sell that piece of plastic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't blame the guy whatsoever. Um, but yeah, the 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 I think basically he wasn't entirely sure how much that thing was worth. No, and, um, no, yeah, no one did. No one did. There was no precedent for it. Uh, I think he's he he had unfortunately. I, I won't dive into it too much because it's like his personal business. But yeah. but he turned down an offer that was more than what he eventually ended up selling uh, it for. I believe that's the story. And, yeah, yeah. And and I was trying to crowdfund it for significantly more than what he eventually sold it for. So it's a shame that that didn't happen because I wanted to put it in a museum so it could still tour the world. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, I think the person that bought it, thank goodness, is very preservation minded. I mean, just by sheer fluke of luck, like that easily couldn't have happened. I think the guy does want to like set up a games museum and have it in it and stuff. So that's that worked out okay. Um, <laughs> real tangent there, but yeah, my point is that like, this this stuff can just be, this stuff can and will in the future increasingly just be purchased and and, and hidden away somewhere and never seen yeah. um, by people. So it's really good that someone like you with your collection, as much as you're able to. Are, are, are attempting to share it and share that knowledge and and, and stuff. That's that's obviously wonderful. So. Um, yeah, so one of the things that I'm um, looking to do at some point is to release a a book, uh, the Cybertech mm. Collection, and trying to just capture uh, all the information, all the consoles I have in that book, and release mm. that. And also, um, possibly, I wanted, I thought about maybe doing like a traveling museum, where people can vote for the top hundred consoles they want to see, uh, and I would go travel to their town or their city and then show them for a weekend or something like that. So that's just yeah. one of the ideas I had. Yeah, I love both of those. <laughs> I would definitely get that book. And um, yeah, that traveling idea is, is, is really sweet. Um, that sounds great. And it's good that you do stuff like going to the computer museum. Um, yep. They're good folk. Like I send, obviously I work for Super A Games and I send all of our games over to them just because, you know, we, we should, frankly, if we care about preservation, we should actually be yeah, putting the, on the our mouths. Guys at Cambridge have done a, an incredible job of, of preservation. Um, they have a bunch of wonderful, passionate volunteers that take the mm-hmm. time to go through and catalog everything and make sure it's all working. And, and again, put it on show. Uh, a wonderful, it's a wonderful institution. Yeah, great. Again, I can't wait for all of this, um, for COVID to stop because I haven't visited it. I haven't been there in person. I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to go see them and um, perhaps do something with them. That would be, that would be exciting. Um, but yeah, it's it's great that you do all this stuff. Like it's really important. Again, um, anyone listening, when the world opens back up and these retro events are back on, go along to them. Try some of the consoles. You'll probably see Quang around somewhere, which would be good. Um, yeah, yeah. You are. I guess. I guess that kind of ties in with uh, with something I touched on earlier, which is that at this point you're like an event mascot. I feel like <laughs> you are. Just... <laughs> like you're at them all and and again before i knew you before i even knew you i had seen you and i knew who you was and i would recognize you because you were in your <laughs> tiger outfit cat outfit thing yeah. and i'd see you around a lot 
Um, and I guess, yeah, sometimes you're at events just to show off your your your, your consoles, and sometimes you've been at there to show off uh, Memo Castle. Yeah, indeed. Um, so um, I'm obviously uh, I'm now an indie game developer, and one of the things I'm working on is a game called Mau Mau Castle. It's a game about a flying cat dragon who chases rainbows. Um, it's heavily inspired by retro games like um, Space Harrier, Outrun, and other superscalar arcade games. And one of the things I do when I go to showcase at events is I dress up in this tiger onesie um, because when you're at an event, that there are so many games vying for your attention, you have to stand out somehow. And one of the things mm-hmm. I do to do that is it's dress up as a, as a mascot. Um, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. So trying to get to as many events as possible because um, it's all about getting eyes on your game, isn't it? At the end of the day, mm-hmm. and as a game developer, you uh, marketing. Uh, costs money, whether it be going to events or paying for uh, exposure of some kind. Um, mm. You need to just get as many eyes on your game as possible, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you definitely do manage to stand out, as a, I mean, proof in the pudding of me of me before <laughs> I even knew you, knowing of you, you know, and, and and knowing of the and seeing you around at events and knowing what the game was that you were hosting. Yeah, I think um, um, I've shown Mama Castle now at over sixty-five events. Oh my goodness. Oh gosh! <laughs> so a lot of people, a lot of people listening, have probably actually seen you. Have probably actually seen you. Possibly, yes. Hopefully. Mm. So how? When? How? Obviously, COVID has happened and lots have happened. But when are we going to be able to? I want to play your game, Quang. I want to play it in my hands. <laughs> so it's, it's it's a bit of a we've taken a bit of a detour. So since so um I used to have a day job and um, my day job was working in events. Funny enough, but for tech mm-hmm. for events. So that's where a lot of my tech. My event knowledge comes from running events is, mm-hmm. is doing events for other people. And um, luckily, because of the nature of the job and the time of it, it allowed me the time and the money to go showcase at my own events. So um, mm-hmm. show Mama Castle out of the events. So it all tied in really, really well. But because of COVID, um, I, I was made redundant. And mm-hmm. uh, because of that, I've taken this opportunity to become a full-time game developer now. So now that I'm a full-time game developer, um, I've had to reprioritize how I'm going to survive and how I'm going to afford um, to do what I do without a day job, as it were. And I've decided to go revisit an old Game Boy game I I made back in 1999. And I kind of want to make this physical Game Boy game first to raise a bit of cash. And then as soon as that's done, we'll go back to Mau Mau, which should be in December. Um, so all those things are going to plan. Um, we're looking at Mammoth Castle releasing March ish. Yeah, March ish next year. March ish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. That that that'll be really good to 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 you know finally get my heads on the on the final thing. But um, I guess jumping across to the game that you just mentioned. Like, by the way, I did not realize that that idea started from 1999. <laughs> um, that's crazy. Um, but kind of cool, like that you're developing a Game Boy game that literally when you started making it was, I guess, current for the Game Boy. Like, that's yeah. interesting. The, so the, it was for the Game Boy Color. The Game Boy Color came out in 1998. Hmm. And um, I made this, uh, I was learning how to code for the Game Boy uh, about that time too. And uh, there was a programming competition, uh, coding competition online by a company called Bung, B U N G. They were releasing flashcards for the Game Boy. 
to uh, allow you to develop your own stuff and test it on hot real hardware. So mm. um, I entered the competition with this game, Jetpack DX, uh, which is a remake of an old game by Rare, uh, uh, who were Ultimate back in the day of Spectrum. And um, I did relatively well. I, I actually came second in that competition, and it uh, got eyes on me and what I do, and I got offered a job to work on, in, on Game Boy games. So I did that for a year in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, through my hobbyist uh, learnings and programming, my homebrew um, of Jetpack, I got a job in the industry, which is very cool. And now it's kind of come full circle. Now um, I've taken Jetpack DX, and now I'm making it Super Jetpack DX by adding a bunch of new features to it. And we're looking to do a physical release. It's currently on pre-order, and um, I can't wait to have it out there in the real world. Yeah, yeah. This kind of like this surprised me when 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 this was happening because when I first heard that you were doing this, and I'm your mate, when I first heard you were doing this, the pre-orders were up, and I was like, "What? <laughs> this this happened very quickly." Um, but yeah, it's 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 I, I love stuff like this, man. Like I love um like new Game Boy games and and, and new games for like older consoles stuff. I yeah. absolutely love that stuff, and. I am a lot more interested in it when it when it has a physical release. Hundred um, yeah. percent. So that is that's marvelous. How are you even doing that? Because I don't know the logistics of that. Is there a company that will that will produce those? Sure. Um, there are a number of companies that are now producing um, physical Game Boy games, including uh, First Press Games and a few other mm. guys. I'm actually going to do this on my own, as it were. So we're gonna get in a bunch of blank carts from china uh i found a printer uh that will print the manuals a dim printer to print the boxes and then mm-hmm. we're literally going to fold boxes and make boxes and flash carts in our front room uh, and do it ourselves <laughs> that's amazing yeah that's that's that sounds so good man like i'm i'm really um i haven't even put my poor order down yet i'm waiting for payday <laughs> um but yeah absolutely cannot wait for, for for that i love stuff like that um and by the way, anyone listening, obviously go and check it out, yeah? Go and check it out. <laughs> so, game, yeah? So, so, so Super Jetpack DX is going to be released in, in various formats. So we get a complete box one with a manual. Uh, that'll cost you £40. Uh, mm-hmm. Just the cartridge on its own will cost you £25. And you can get a downloadable ROM for uh, £10. Um, all the versions come with a downloadable ROM as well. And what I'm doing is I'm going to take the time to customize every single ROM I send out for download with a person's name inside it. So when they turn it on, the first screen they see will be uh, a thank you and their name on it. Um, and so I, I thought it was, worth, it was worth taking the time to do that just to say thank you to the community for, for putting their money down on something that I've made. Um, and one extra thing we're doing as well is every single pre-order gets put into a draw to win a customized Game Boy color that we've made up. Mm. It's beautiful. If you go on, uh, um, on social media, you can see the images of it, and it, it's a beautiful looking Game Boy. And we're going to give that away in a, in a prize draw to all the pre-orders. Very nice. Yeah, I saw that that special Game Boy, and uh, that's delicious, if I do say so. Um, yeah, that that custom is that custom idea. Is that for is that for all of the versions? Is that just the the downloadable ROMs? Or are you literally doing it on the physical cards? Uh, it'll be just for the downloadable ROMs because um, I'm not f- flashing the cards myself personally. Um, yeah. I've, 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 I'm paying someone else to do that. So the logistics of me sending 
custom ROMs and then getting them to flash them, impossible. Would, it's, it's, it's almost impossible. Yeah, um, it just I guess financially won't be viable to do it. Um, yeah, but if you have the right tools, you can flash the cart again a second time with the ROM that you downloaded from me with your personalized um, ROM. So you could do that. That's cool. That's cool. I mean, it's it's crazy that you're doing that at all to begin with. Like that, that's it's a really cool idea. Um, I think people really love that sort of stuff, and it's it's interesting that everyone has, in a small way, like a different version of the game. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, you, um, it's nice. Like, like how how cool? Because what it's come down to actually. So the story is when I made the game. Obviously, originally, regular Jetpack DX was a ROM, and then it got mm. me a job, and I made Gamer Games, and the Gamer Game that I put the most work into was Lego Stunt Rally. Mm-hmm. Which is um, a lovely racing game where you build your own tracks on Game Boy, but I burned out quite drastically um, before the end of the game. So they had to come bring someone else to f- come bring come in to finish the game. Um, so even though the code's probably eighty ninety percent my code, uh, I have no credits in the game. Oh, uh, which is a little frustrating. So there's physical cool Game Boy games out there that are my code, but I have no credit on them. So the idea of doing Super Jetpack DX as a physical release is to have a physical Game Boy game with my name in it. Um, mm. And as by extension, having the people who um, pre-order it have their name in it as well, it's just an extension of that. And it's just nice to have your name in the game. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's always something that people glue to. I mean, you see that with Kickstarter pledges where mm. people will drop money on a game early because they're going to get their name in the credits of a game. And there might be a thousand credits in that game, yeah. <laughs> but people still like. So I'm part of that. Like I'm in. I'm in that. Oh, and I, people love that. I've, I've I've been the same. I've literally dropped tons of money on, on Kickstarters just to have my name in the credits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've done. I think I've I've absolutely done that. I mean, I and it's still even me. Someone that's and, and likewise for you. Someone that's in the industry. I still get a complete kick out of it. Like seeing <laughs> Wonder Song, for example. Like seeing my name in the credits. Of Wonder Song. I was like, oh, I'm in Wonder Song, and I love that game. Um. Yeah, it's just something people love that stuff, and 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 rightly so. Like it's um, it's it's just really cool, um, and it must be nice for you to have sort of almost a sense of closure, I suppose, after after all this time to actually release this thing physically and have your name on it. Hundred percent. Yeah, as I said, it's it's come full circle. Uh, back from nineteen ninety nine, it's taken twenty one years to get to this point where I have a game of game in a physical format uh, with my name in it. Yeah, that's amazing. I am um, also. I constantly forget that you are basically a vampire because I think, <laughs> in my mind and everyone else's mind, you're just my age. But, but alas, I was growing up on the kind of games that you were making. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'm. Uh, I turned 40, 42 this year, um, and Sobitech is, is actually thirteen years old now. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's been a long process relearning my craft and trying to play catch up uh with all the current changes in technology but which keep moving forward too fast for me to catch up so it's been a, a hard slog to get back to where I, I was as it were yeah i guess that's the thing um it's it's it's, it's almost a full-time job just keeping up with how everything is going really yeah like so when i started at sobby tech um th- there were no smartphones as we know them so there was no ios no android i was making i was looking to make games for windows mobile which was based mm-hmm. on windows c not so not windows phone which is what we know now before that there was windows c so like pdas and things like that 
Um, and I was looking to make games for that because there wasn't many games available. For, and any games for that were only like parlor games like Minesweeper or Solitaire, things like that. So I wanted mm. to make arcade games for these Windows mobile devices. And as I started learning that, uh, Android came out, iOS came out, the App Store came out, and it changed the whole market completely. Yeah. Uh, and I got left behind very, very quickly. So it's been a long time catching up to get where I am now. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. And it's and it's all of those sort of pre-smartphone mobile games that I, I, I fear for in the, in the case of preservation mm. as well. Like it's all those... People have just completely forgotten about them, man. Like no one, no one thinks about them at all anymore, and it's 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 a shame. Like again, everything deserves to be preserved. So, hopefully, I'm sure there is to be honest, but hopefully, there's some sort of project out there to completely just preserve all that stuff. Yeah, I I, I seem to remember that there is a bunch of Java uh, Java game uh, archive sites. I've seen those around. Mm. Um, I know I, I have a Nokia Engage. And a bunch of games for that, and you know, there's there's Tony Hawk's for the Nokia Engage. There's Tomb Raider for the Nokia Engage, and and there are competent ports to be honest for the hardware at the time. Yeah. So yeah, crazy uh, stuff. It's it, as I said, it would be a shame to see them lost to to the sands of time. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I remember on, on old comics and stuff and magazines, and you know, you'd have adverts on the on the front on the on the inside front covers of these random like downloadable spider-man games for these <laughs> random mobile phones and stuff like that um but you know they're important they they have that's it's spider-man for god's sake that's such a huge property why on earth should people forget about about those kind of games yeah so i i have a weird uh italian device it's it's basically a, a translator sort of pda not, not even pda it's like yeah almost like a translator calculator thing but it also has these LCD cartridges on it, and it has an official uh, licensed Pac-Land LCD game. <laughs> and weirdly, that's one of three games you can get for it. Uh, one is a, a multi-block game, so, so sort of a Tetris clone. The other one's some sort of uh, three-lane F1 race sort of game you get in LCD games. Uh, but it also has <laughs> a Pac-Land game, and someone went out and got the license for that and, and it's official. So it was a shame to see that lost to time again. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I didn't even know about that. So that, that <laughs> kind of shows, that, that kind of shows really. I mean, that's absolutely that sort of thing should, I mean, not just licensed stuff deserves to be preserved. Obviously, oh, sure, I think yeah. everything does. But that kind of stuff obviously has a lot more historical importance to So you know, in, in that respect, it's, it's more of a shame if that sort of stuff is lost. That's a shame. Um, yeah. Hopefully someone's doing it. Someone out there, I'm sure, is is is, is working on all this stuff. Well, I'm I'm doing my part. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, of course, yeah. And I mean, and I I guess another thing I I almost completely forgot to even bring this up in this podcast. I'm literally just just thought of it. But you have so many bows to your string that you also have um the pocket pixel shirts. <laughs> Indeed, um... so, you're doing a lot, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, Pocket Pixel was an idea I had um, where we I, I've been designing a bunch of pixel art representations of controllers and mm. put them on the pockets area of, of the t-shirt. Um, this is mainly because my younger brother, um, so I have two brothers, one older, one younger. My older brother is an artist and we work together on video games mostly. He does a lot of the art for the games I make. Um, but my younger brother, he doesn't do that sort of stuff. So just to have something I could do with my younger brother, he prints <laughs> T-shirts anyway and uniforms and things like that, um, like sports sports jerseys and things like that. And just to do have something to do with him and something we could do together, 
uh, I came up with Pocket Pixels, and it was um, it did really really well. Mm. Um, and I'm actually looking to re- resurrect that with a new launch, new line of designs real Ooh. soon. Um, so obviously, because now I am doing a video game full time, I have to look at mm. ways to generate revenue, and Pocket Pixels is definitely one way to do that. Yeah, yeah, really good. I, I mean, I have your uh, 30th anniversary Game Boy one. Oh, it's beautiful, um, yeah. Which is it's, it's such a good shit. Like, I genuinely love just wearing that. It's it's great. My only fear with it is I do worry that people might think I'm 30. I'm not quite 30, yeah. <laughs> the Game Boy's 30. The Game Boy's 30. Fact that the game, it's the Game Boy. The Game Boy's older than you. That's crazy. Yeah, the Game Boy's older than me. My first home console was the PlayStation 1. Oh, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> But it's it's, yeah. it's wonderful to see the, uh, the I'm going to call you guys the younger generation because I'm mm. older um, embracing older hardware and because um, like generally you, you have nostalgia for things you grew up with mm-hmm. but there's so many younger people now looking at things that were made before they were born and enjoying it and that's, that's so heartwarming to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, it, it it seems odd for me to me now for someone else to say that I'm like, oh my gosh, you grew up doing the PS One. That's oh, you're basically a newbie because I look at other people in the same way. You know, people there are people that that I that I will speak to online that their first video game console was like the Wii or the PS Three, and I'm like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> and these people are video game writers. You know, they're in the industry. I'm like, gosh, I'm old now. Yeah. Um. But um. But yeah, I, I mean, for me, obviously, growing up. I didn't grow up when 2D was like the king. I grew up with the PS1. 3D games were there. Yeah. Um, I grew up on, with DOS PC games a little bit earlier than that. But my first actual home console, yeah, was the, um, the PS1. <laughs> and for me, it's just like, yeah, I still will completely appreciate and enjoy and, and care deeply about older consoles. I mean, I have no personal history with even the NES or SNES. Certainly not the sort of old Ataris and whatnot. Um, but yeah, for me, that stuff is important, Uh massively important um without that we wouldn't have the stuff that i grew up on for sure without the stuff i grew up on we'd have the stuff that people after me grew up on and it's just like i'm i'm hoping that future generations have that kind of have the perspective that i had on it still um i'm hoping that people that will grow up on the playstation 5 will look back at the ps1 and atari and 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 ness and still have that same level of appreciation for it Uh, i hope the game boy is a bit interesting anomaly in that it's spanned generations and mm. people still have a love for the Game Boy and the original design and the chiptune, obviously there's chiptune artists that use Game Boys to make music mm. uh, now um, and it's it's been almost a, it's almost a timeless console in a way and it's great to see that. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I think, I think part of it is Part of it is the hardware design. Like, I just think it's a beautiful console still. Like, I have before, like, taken my Game Boy Color. And, I mean, during the Switch era, I've taken my Game Boy Color and sat on the train to work and sat and played Game Boy Color. Like, it's just, there's something about playing stuff on the original hardware, I think, that I enjoy. My backlog is endless, obviously, so I always will pop back to older, older hardware sometimes. But yeah, it's just it's a beautiful piece of hardware. It's gorgeous. I really love that there's a really um, active modding scene on it because you know they put like backlights behind it and, and they yeah. pretty them up and make them look awesome. Um, in fact, you, you go to retro events, you see that you see them everywhere. You see so many booths selling modded Game Boys and stuff, and it's wonderful. I love all that stuff. Um, and yeah, and then obviously people like yourselves, like still making literally new games for these consoles. Um, 
yeah, there definitely is an audience for for, for all that still. Speci- I find I, I think specifically the Game Boy, like yeah, no one cares about like the Game Boy Advance <laughs> or or even the original Nintendo DS or or or, or even older handheld consoles. Um, but the Game Boy like has that power. Yeah, but I I do think there are people who do care about the other models as well, but it, nothing comes close to yeah. the original Game Boy. Well, it's weird because like, the original Game Boy design is so iconic. Um, mm. But it's the original DMG, which only plays black and white games, and really you want the color library to be included in mm. that. So the best way to play Game Boy games is on a Game Boy Color or even a Game Boy Advance because of, of the better screen quality. But now with the mods and stuff, it helps. You can play the other games. Yeah. Um, but I say the, the design of the, the DMG, uh, the first Game Boy, is so iconic it's on everything it's up there with the nes pad itself the nes Mm. pad is on everything you can get belt buckles doormats uh, mugs Mm. galore with this this design on it it's so iconic yeah it is i think i my my test of how culturally well known and how 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 huge something is is kind of using my partner's parents as an example Mm. or even my partner is not the bigger gamer um and I think if I was to show them the NES controller or the PS1 controller or the Switch, they wouldn't read. They'd know. They'd be able to look at it and go, "That's a video game controller." But I don't think they'd know what it is. Even the NES controller. But if you show them a Game Boy, I think they would know it was a Game Boy. Yeah, same. My parents. They know the phrase Game Boy. They know what a Game Boy is. Yeah, it's which just... is interesting. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess Game Boy just hit like that sort of cultural zeitgeist where everyone's kind of aware of it. Yeah. Um, I, my 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 dad, who bless him, he's in his seventies. He he introduced me to, to to DOS PC games, so he knows PC games f- f- fairly well, and has in recent years gone back into them. But consoles lost on him, lost on him. He's terrible yeah. at them. It's never worked. Um, and I remember growing up when when I had a PS One, and which was my first home console, and the uh, Game Boy Color was my first handheld console. And even now, consoles are like some. Whenever he names them, there's some weird mix of all that. It's just like, where's your PlayStation Game Boy? Like, what are you talking? What is that? <laughs> where's your Where's your PlayStation Advance? What What is that? I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's, it, it's like in the earlier days for us when um, every console was Nintendo, and even before They're that, every console was was an Atari. So it's, yeah. it's just how uh, how prevalent it was in 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 uh, the general consensus. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I guess. Funnily enough, even all that kind of attitude is going to. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that changes over the over the years because obviously people are increasingly having grown up with video games um i think the average age of a gamer now is like 40 something like we're not at that <laughs> point anymore where 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 you know where, where, where people aren't aware of them i mean it's 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 huge it's a bigger industry than any other entertainment industry so we're, we're gonna soon approach a point where literally everybody is on some level aware of of, of, of video games on a much deeper level um, which is interesting. It'll be yeah. an interesting change. Obviously, as an industry, it's now growing to the point where it m- earns more money than the movie industry and music industries. Mm. So uh, people are starting to take notice of it as an industry. Um, Definitely, yeah. We're seeing um, in very recently, I mean, this year, we're seeing a lot of worldwide um, like mainstream news sites and papers start to embrace video games which hasn't happened in the past like we've got 
Washington Post in the US has um, uh, a video games writer, and there's some other like huge news outlets in the US that literally just this year have expanded into games writing, yeah. um, which is like obviously like they have a showbiz team to cover films. Like, uh, why wouldn't they have a games writer? Um, but we're getting to that point. Like, it's it's so odd that even though it's the biggest in- industry in the entertainment industry, it's still not quite at that point where it's 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 held at the same level of of films uh, which is absurd um but i feel like we're getting there we're slowly getting there yeah, if you think about video games video games is what nearly 50 years old as, as a concept mm. um so it's relatively a, a, a young uh medium to to be dealing with and people mm. still don't quite understand it there's a lot of people who don't understand video games um not through a fault of their own it's just I guess it hasn't grown to that age where it it can include everyone. You know, also Nintendo did huge roads with the Wii and and the mm. other devices to in- encompass more people to play it. Uh, Ring Fit is great for that. Um, a lot of mm. uh, uh, VR is is moving things forwards. Um, and the more people, the more diverse we get, the better it's going to be for our industry. Absolutely, yeah, and that's that's why I don't like the sort of gatekeeping attitude that some games have because at at the end of the road we will all benefit from from um, from it widening from 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 a more diverse set of people playing games and and uh, you know hardcore gamers have this weird thing about casual games still which seems so antiquated now it seems so irrelevant. Yeah. When we ha- we're in a world with smartphones where there's games in people's hands, like it's it's it seems so outdated to to think in that way. But alas, some people still do. Um, but I'm sure that will uh, dissipate. Um, Quang, thank you very much for joining me. It was good to talk about your games and your games and your shirts and more games. Um, <laughs> I know you have an awful lot going on, but do you want to tell everyone where they can find you and the things that you're doing? Uh, the best places to find me are either Twitter, I guess, or Facebook or Instagram. Uh, or under Asobi Tech, that's A-S-O-B-I, Tech, T-E-C-H. Asobi is a Japanese word for play, and Tech is a type of science where the science of play. Asobi Tech. So you can find me on any of the platforms, social media platforms, and um, I, I'm pretty active on all of them. So drop me a message and if you have any questions. Yeah, amazing. And all the links will be in the description wherever you're listening to this. Uh, do hit him, do hit Quang up. Uh, please do check out specifically Super Jetpack DX um, because I want it uh, and pre-order you know, if you... uh, sorry um, yeah the pre-order will be ending on the 19th of october so you need to get your orders in before the 19th of october yes so at the time this goes up you ain't got long left please go and pre-order it because you should and i want it and you should want it go check it out yeah um thank you very much for joining me it was a, it was good to chat to you um i'm sure i will catch you around at an event sometime in the future i hope so pleasure to, um, for coming thank you so much for having me course and we will see you all next time bye bye thank you so much for listening to the toad on games podcast i hope you enjoyed this episode of course there is one episode out every single week so that's four episodes a month and if you want early access to these episodes you can support me and the patron mostly me buying toys and nonsense at patreon.com slash toads anime where you can get early access to every episode, so that's four episodes a month. Um, you can also get shout-outs on the podcast for backing at certain tiers as well. So thank you very much to Robert Cathels, James Coop, Thomas, Francisco Limas, 
EMH Richard, Corey Class, Chris Wood, Gregory Phillips, Lee Chapman, Stephen, Andy Robertson, Gregory Kroll, Joe Sheedy, and Ryan Winters. Thank you so, so much for backing the podcast and me and all the things I do so far. And I hope you will subscribe to wherever it is you're listening to this. And we will catch you with a different games industry guest on the next episode. See you later.